1: is Cult Connections presents Cult Confessions. Every episode, your host, Ian, that's me, is joined by a new guest to discuss a classic film. The only thing is, Ian is only now getting round to watching them, from the scariest horrors to hilarious comedies and everything in between. So come and enjoy Ian's Cult Confessions. Hi, it's the Ian here. Um, and welcome to the first of my new bonus um the episodes, uh cult the confessions, where um I must admit I finally get round to watching the films I really should have watched a long, long time ago. Um the joining me there today I have um the Dirk. How are you, Dirk? Oh, very good. Thank you for having me. No, no, you're very welcome. Um, we we are going to start with an absolute the classic here, and uh, I'm almost a bit um, the the sort of ashamed uh, not to have seen it until until just last week when I finally got around to it. We're going to talk about 1980s The Shining. Um, yes. So so they believe it or not, I have never watched this film all the way through. You know, to be fair, uh, until the the just last week. Um, Dave, for you, Dirk, how how sort of often, or what's your first first sort of memories of watching it? So,
2: I had the rare experience of growing up in my dad's family video store, and so The Shining was one of those boxes that I mean, it didn't have artwork that really grabbed me you know like say something like death stalker or something where you're just like what is this guy with the sword fighting this giant beast which is not in the movie for anybody listening uh <laughs> the shining was just there and like you said you're, you're talking about a film that is like in one of the, like the top three directors of all time it's uh one of the when people say horror films, a, a person that doesn't even watch horror can name The Shining, Poltergeist, and uh, The Exorcist. Like it's just one of those films. So it's it's kind of always lived since its release in the zeitgeist of pop culture. And like you said previously, it's it's been aped and homaged and everything from The Simpsons and stuff. So I growing up, you know, saw it uh, in fragments, like you said, in images. Um, but it wasn't until in our town, the film was playing when I was a teenager in a theater. And then I just told myself like, I know enough by this point about cinema, that this is a rare opportunity to see something in the grand scale it was intended. And so that was the time that I sat down and watched uh, The Shining.
1: Yeah, Uh Um, you know, I think for me, so, so 1980 when it came out, I would have been six or seven, obviously far too young, to see it then yeah a um, bit. <laughs> <laughs> um however even if uh, you know even thinking it's not one that say I would have picked out from um the the video you know store or, mm. or 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 I'd probably seen bits on um their sort of tv when it was sort of shown but I'd never actually watched it all of the way through mm. um you know probably in my my sort of teenagers. There was other things I was, uh, you know, get getting up to. So that, uh, that just never happened. And then for some reason, it's it sort of passed me by. And um, you know, when I'm sitting thinking about it, and I'm like, um, they sort of Kubrick made it. Now I've watched, um, you know, two, thousand and one, uh, yeah. and you know, Clockwork Orange. You know, Spartacus and um, mm-hmm. Bill Belita. Um, I've even watched Barry Lyndon more than once. Um, oh, there you go. You're one of yeah, the few. But I have never watched The Shining. It's like, yeah, what am I? I sort of doing? It's just so 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 strange. But um, well, there is a
2: there is another piece to my uh, history with The Shining, and that is that the exterior shots of the Overlook Hotel are actually Timberline Lodge, which is here in Oregon. Um, so, growing up as an Oregonian, there's not a ton of things that we have to claim there was a, a game in the 80s called the oregon trail where everyone's livestock got dysentery it's very depressing uh and then we had <laughs> the fact that timberland lodges in the shining and so everyone knows this here um, yeah. and it becomes a point of conversation and uh my wife even her first job was the first espresso cart on the mountain which was at there
1: so manhood. so yeah <laughs> Yeah, wow, brilliant. Wow, that's that's just yeah, that's that's really, really good. I think I think when we talk about it it's sort of culturally or or one of the factors maybe that I never got around to it is that it's it's referenced in so many other sort of places. So, you know, like like you say, the um the sort of Simpsons and you know, mm-hmm. lots of other horror films as well will, you know, pay their own own sort of homage or 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 even I'm thinking of um um their sort of Ready Player One, where that uh, oh yeah <laughs> yeah where that actually played plays a huge part in that film uh, yeah. and really really well and uh, and actually when I was watching Ready Player One I didn't feel like I'd missed out because I I knew I knew all of those bits I knew what what you know the room number was and uh, yeah all those all those sort of visual um their sort of elements but but without actually sitting and watching where it's sort of taken from which is so so strange but you know it is it is absolutely everywhere and has been you know spoofed and Mm -hmm. um you know sampled and you know music and all kinds of things so um yeah
2: and that set in ready player one was actually built they didn't green screen that part um and i guess Spielberg was just giddy to be standing on you know in The Shining you know it's just like it's such a thing and I just love that they they went through the details of like actually building that you know for him I think that's fantastic. I think
1: uh, well actually I think that's one of the bits about you know because I must have watched The Shining last week and I was at the end of it it was well actually at the start of it but more so by the end I was like why have I never watched this why has it been me <laughs> so long to watch this film um you know you know purely thinking from a it's a, a um the sort of technical aspect how oh, yeah how sort of brilliant that it is um uh, you know visually and and sort of so on um so yeah so so funnily enough if 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 Ready Player One looks like The Shining so much, then that's sort of testament to, you know, the power and of 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 the work that actual sort of film film they make has put into, yeah, you know, to their work, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I think I think it's it's a combination of things, and it makes sense that like it didn't leap out at us at a younger age because I feel like it's very much. Um, I mean Kubrick's films feel I don't know if you want to say like educational but it feels like it's for an adult it's coming from an adult's very critical mind Uh and Kubrick's eye and you couple that with John Alcott the cinematographer and the fact that he brought on um Garrett Brown the inventor of the steadicam to operate the steadicam I mean Hmm. the fluidity of the shots and the just the um oh what's it called the uh the way that everything is is so perfectly centered in the frame i mean you talk about a film where you watch it once and you can draw up in your head images of it like they're photographs i mean it's <laughs> just it's and it's some of it's drilled into our brains from being referenced so many times and we've <laughs> seen it so much but it's just like it's such an iconic film you know and just the the pacing of it the structure of it what it's about what it's not about it's such an interesting thing so I was like so so excited when you asked me to talk about it because nothing more needs to really be said about The Shining except for I feel like our personal experiences with it because that's what differs for every everybody you know when when you press play on it, it was last week and the fact that you even did that is fantastic and that you were like, I'm going to fill this spot in, in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and when also you choose to show that to somebody else, you know, is another great thing. Cause it's another invitation to like visit this wonderful classic thing that we've all seen so much of. So maybe we don't have that impulse to like watch the shining, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think after, I mean, like I said that, uh, you know, even, even the first, First two, two sort of minutes. Obviously, we get the opening, um, their sort of shots of 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 the car driving through the um mm-hmm. the sort of valleys and and the um their sort of mountains and the fantastic their landscape there. Um, yeah, which, which you see in so so many films, but like you say, it's framed in such a way. Now I was sitting, you know, watching it on my on my 50 inch their TV, which is a reasonable size their screen. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but, and even with that, I was like, wow, this is, this is, you know, this, you know, you can just see from that, that, that opening, why, why everybody loves it. Like why it's loved by, by sort of critics who, 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 you know wouldn't really like a film like this yeah you know, would maybe sort of scorn it or or just um you know general sort of film film sort of lovers that it's just so expertly sort of crafted yes um, but you know just from those first you know two three minutes i was like yeah i can see why now you know yeah just, yeah you know perfect they're sort of op- opening. open and
2: well, you mentioned that opening and it's it's such a it's it's subtle, but it's also iconic in a way that it left such a imprint that when Blade Runner was being shot two years later, he remembered that Kubrick had probably some extra footage from <laughs> these shots and it's yeah. used in the film when Decker's driving his car. Like yeah. that's uh-huh.
1: actual footage that Kubrick had shot for the shining, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> I think um, again. I think two two sort of film um, the makers there who really, uh, you know, no dis- disrespect to other film film sort of makers, but uh, ones who really mm-hmm. do do go go sort of they're above and and sort of beyond for for the craft and actually looking at at at, at their films as um, you know the best that they can make it there sort of visually but um yeah, yeah 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 funnily enough that was one of my favorite sort sort of points is that that's that's probably the footage from there the shining that i know the best they oh, yeah. have actually watched sort of blade runner so many times <laughs> so obviously it's 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 um you know it's it's about a um their family and they, they go to to this isolated their sort of hotel there to look after it for for the um their winter where the where the father um is influenced in in many different ways to turn to um their sort of violence and go quite um are psychotic um yeah. and his their son has you know some sort of psychic um their sort of ability which which is what what the shining sort of part comes from, isn't it? That's where the t- he's he's got the 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 shining, Um yes. You know, so he's able to able to you know see things and um, they sort of communicate with 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 sort of others. Um, you know, for me not being the familiar with with um, them the book either, so I w- I was quite sort of glad of that in. You know and and actually not you know prior to to sort of watching it, i they sort of deliberately didn't really read anything either so mm. so 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 just so i i could sort of look back afterwards and i was kind of glad that 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 i didn't um you know because i do know that the Stephen, the king doesn't really like this film so correct
2: he hates it. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, notoriously so.
2: Uh, he did not like the changes that Kubrick made. Um, but the thing about that that I think is very interesting is, I mean, the the lore is that Kubrick had done Barry Lyndon and was looking for something that would hopefully grab the public because Barry Lyndon did not. And so he was brought a bunch of Stephen King books, um, and there's two different versions of this story. One version, he's reading a couple pages and throwing the book against the wall, reading a couple pages, throwing a book against the wall. But there's also another story that right prior to the shining being released as a book, uh, he was sent the manuscript and he read that. And then with you know, agreed to the studio yeah i'll make this movie and then that's when he and diane johnson started their drafts um so it depends on which stories you really follow on how it started with kubrick yeah but then he instantly started cherry picking what he wanted because he didn't want to make a horror picture he thought that if you can believe it that gore and blood was like gratuitous and uh, you know not something he wanted to shoot uh-huh. despite some of the things you see in this film uh, so i think the changes that he made instantly was what king didn't like but i think that's also the strengths of the film um one of the big ones is that the book spoiler alert for people wanting to read the book uh, ends with the hotel burning down it's a very stephen king ending if you will Um, But cinema like cinema wise, seeing that would have been pretty boring. It would have been the same thing we would see in any other movie. And instead creating the whole maze situation, which in the book is just moving animal topiary, just like hedges shaped like animals. And uh, so Kubrick made this maze and came up with the whole idea that that Jack freezes in it. Um, And then we're left with these iconic images, as opposed to just another exploding thing, which in 1980, we see a lot in movies. So it's a very wise decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And have you have you watched
1: Dr. Sleep yet? Well, I (laughs) well, funnily enough, um, this afternoon I started. um, So I watched half an hour and then I was like, oh, no, I'm actually going to stop. Yeah, I wanted to do this. And not be influenced by the Doctor Sleep, sure. so um, I, however, the first half hour which I have watched, I must admit, I really enjoyed. Uh, oh, it's so far phenomenal! With that. So, yeah. It's phenomenal, and I won't spoil
2: it for you, but I will say that there is so much detail put into Doctor Sleep um, that is directly from The Shining, uh-huh. and what they do is stitch together Kubrick, which King never liked that film. With the original source material in a way that made Stephen King happy, um, did a great job paying tribute to the book and also lives within the world that Kubrick created for the film. So it's it's a masterclass film. It's something that I recommend the director's cut, which is like almost four hours long, okay. um, but it it is just. It's just unbelievable. And there's shots that you've already seen in the film that are directly lifted from the shining, like yeah, where yeah, uh-huh. Jack Nicholson is meeting the the guy to go to yeah. the and that straight shot is is exactly the same frame with you and McGregor. It's yeah, it's really great, which I know we're not talking about right now, but it's hard for me to ever separate those two films now that I've seen them, you know. I
1: think um you know what that's that's not that. That's sort of fascinating because there's a way about a way about um, the way that that sort of Kubrick shoots his his uh, scenes that that are so so artful, but you know you know like you said, so well sort of framed that that yeah. other other film film makers can can probably lift that quite sort of effortlessly you know like he's yeah he's, he's actually laid it all out for you and say look this is how it looks you yeah know, he loves
2: you know. symmetry too there's so yeah. much symmetry in the film that's what i was trying to the word i was looking for earlier i mean just the grady twins in the hallway and it's like even if things aren't directly because in this there's a lot of just slightly off of being symmetrical just enough to create a little unease for us especially Mm -hmm. those of us with ocd where we're just like ah okay (laughs) Um, but if you watch there on youtube there's part of a documentary that vivian kubrick shot his daughter um and it's the i think i believe it's the only behind the scenes footage that exists of the filming of the shining and in it you get a great notion of the fact that they were tweaking things right up to the last second with this film. So there's a part where Jack Nicholson just stopped looking at scripts and would just read what they gave him on the day. Mm-hmm. And there's also a part where we all know where Jack is talking to Shelley Duvall's character through the um, cooler when he's in the, you know, the, the refrigerator. And uh, there's a part where you see Kubrick looking at Jack from the side and then realizing like, wait, I think I'm going to lay on the ground. And then he lays on the ground and we get that great shot that you see in the film where he's like above with his hands on the door and his hair's mm-hmm. hanging down. And it was really the same, same thing. They had the, um, the dolly operator and everything shooting Shelly on the other side and then Kubrick laying below Jack on the other side of the <laughs> door. It's, it's really amazing to see. Cause you're just like, you just think like, Now we have people like the director for Midsommar and stuff where they just meticulously storyboard the entire thing. And I feel like you can feel the rigidity when you watch the film, that the director's like, nope, this is it. This is my way and this is it. And Kubrick very much gets his way, but in a way that feels flexible almost. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has like a life that we feel in the movie.
1: Yeah, I think I think probably you know for sort of Kubrick to be able to 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 sort of do that um comes down to to actually how how great the um the sets are in it mm-hmm. so you know and and I think what we have to note is that the only the only real outside shot is like this is is actually at the start of of the the ho- hotel which is mm-hmm. fairly sort of brief you don't see it all that often um and everything else is actually shot in the um their sort of studio but you feel like you're in absolutely in a in a real building
2: um, yeah yeah mm-hmm. well and in the maze too i mean <laughs> it looks like a giant in giant hedge maze i mean the scale <laughs> of what he's doing in this film is amazing yeah. too when the when the crane pulls through um the ballroom and you know you see this in the little vivian vivian's uh making of thing i mean it's really because it's 1980 it's like 200 extras in tuxedos in this yeah. in this room and they're they're some are dancing some are conversing jack nicholson's walking through the scene they shot it like somewhere around 60 times or something to get this right and you can see the ceiling you can see all the people and in the hedge maze it's like 20 feet tall it's excessively tall the hedge yeah. maze but it gives you this like trapped feeling and this stretched out like image of symmetry in the film it's just yeah. it's really it's, it's like you said it's just so thoughtfully crafted
1: yeah I mean I mean even back then you would uh well other filmmakers would have done you know the maze with mats this right sort of interns or 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 these days if you were doing that that sort of ballroom scene you would only have a have a small sort of section and the rest would be you know, yep, C- you. you know, CGI, yeah. yeah. Um which wouldn't give you any any sort of flexibility at all to actually change it up. You would be fairly much stuck with what you'd you know, like you said, what you'd um they're sort of storyboarded. But um, you know, I think I think just the the craft in in mm-hmm. you know the 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 film like like you say it feels like you're in a in a real building. It feels mm-hmm. you know like you know the you know the the famous shots of um uh the danny isn't it going uh you know riding his you know you know yeah. bike through 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 the, the corridors now that's almost yeah. like an endless you know shot you know but that's that's a studio that that's not a real building he's going through it's just yeah it's quite it's quite sort of staggering isn't it
2: yeah it's really impressive i think some of those shots were actually in a hotel so some of it is, I think, a set, and then some of it is, because in the in the making of, I believe it's, there's a lot of shots in the hood. I know it was shot for like 230 days, so I think uh-huh. that there's like multiple locations, but I'm not 100% sure on what is what, except for like the maze. And I know they built uh, the facade in the studio so there's yeah. like the, the part where she climbs out the window in the snow that's yeah, uh-huh. that's in a studio yeah, that's as well a, yeah
1: that's a set yeah uh-huh.
2: yeah but yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing and i don't know how they did some of the shots like the one i referenced in the in the grand ballroom because they they dolly through a wall and i'm like well that has to be a set right because they yeah. can't I mean nowadays everything's just so different and just done in a green screen and you see these things with the the field of depth is so huge and massive and the scope of it is just so
1: staggering like
2: it's really it's an it's an amazing thing
1: yeah yeah just yeah just so well made so so sort of uh you know artful and it feels like like a piece of art actually it feels like you could you could freeze a frame and actually stick it up on on your wall and just, yeah. um, you know, stare at it for hours. Funnily enough, which is um, yeah, yeah. I think I, to do uh, that, um, you know, just just for me, you know, you were talked about about um, you know, the links to to the book and and sort of doctor sleep and how that sort of yeah. carries carries it on. I think one of the things that, um, you know, for me, not being they're, for, you know, they're, they're familiar with with those aspects of it, but something that you know is 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 maybe just for me is how how sort of comfortable I felt at the end by how actually open ended that it was. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Uh huh. And um, I'm. I mean, I do know there is there's you know there's uh, lots of theories about what the film. You know means and and so and I know that people have you know analyzed it to 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 a sort lot. of death basically. You you know ridiculous sort of levels. Oh yeah, um, have you watched Room Two Three Seven? Did you watch that? I've I have heard about that. Someone actually warned me off it because it was just because you know the it's, people are a bit.
2: It's worth watching, but it's. <laughs> I mean, it's it's I enjoy that kind of like play space, like the what if this means this, but it's like. It's so not possible, unfortunately, because in the book the room is 217. It's not room two three seven. And like, okay. you know, in the in the movie they say it's two three seven because the moon is two hundred and thirty-eight thousand miles away from the earth and Kubrick was part of faking the moon landing is like a preference, <laughs> yeah. is like part of what the and that's why the Danny has a, a rocket ship on his sweater, but when you get down to the people that made the film, the sweater was made because Kubrick wanted something handmade, so one of the people on the set had knit that sweater, that's why it's in the film. And and the, the room situation, the reason it's not 217 as it was in the book, is because Timberline Lodge, because they were using the facade of it here in Oregon, they requested that they not use that room so that people would want to still stay in that room <laughs> in their lodge. In the, yeah and so the studio changed it and then the irony there is that because the book says 217 and because the movie shows timberline lodge it's the most requested room in the lodge yeah everyone wants to stay in 217 so it's uh it's it's interesting in that way (laughs) Uh, one thing i wanted to say about also kubrick and king is that there is one part
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: That could be a real gem, and that is that in the book, uh, in the novel, Jack Torrance drives a red beetle, and in Kubrick's adaptation, Jack drives a yellow beetle. And along the roadside, we see an upturned red beetle. Um, and so a lot of people think that this was Kubrick sick with uh, King's feedback on what he was doing, saying, well, this is my movie. This is where your, like, interaction with the story ends. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people speculate that that was a final sort of middle finger to Stephen King, okay. which is interesting.
1: Right. OK. Hmm. I wonder that. Now, I don't know the book. I don't even know if I'm going to read uh, the, the book, to be honest. But Sure. Um... I don't read it a lot. <laughs> but i'm just thinking because obviously so at the start of 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 the film and um jack's jack's character's being you know told about about the old old you know ke, ke, ke they take who who got um who went mad and murdered his, his uh, family yeah um and then this so that's there's sort of Grady, who then sort of turns up in uh, the, the ballroom sequence yes. as a, a a sort of waiter as a their sort of Matre D type, um, yeah. their sort of character. Um but then at the end of the film, obviously we see um there's sort of Nicholson in in the the photo. Mm-hmm. Um so 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 people speculate that um you know, Nicholson, uh, like, so that that the the, um, the sort of torrance and and sort of Grady characters are the same,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: or or the supernatural presence is always there. No, I don't know. You know, and sure. I'm and I'm quite happy to leave it as as it is. But you know, does does an overturned red sort of beetle point to the fact that you know there's some. Yeah, like a a time loop right that's another theory uh,
2: that people have that I really like and I love like I mean I'm a a fan of David Lynch films I'm a fan of like open films because I love the conversation that follows I enjoy Mm -hmm. that play space I don't need a neat tidy bow but uh, in talking about the end of the film I think it's also interesting to mention that there was two things that were deleted from the film Uh, one of them was something that involved a scrapbook Um, And I'm not sure exactly what part the scrapbook played in the film, um, but it's the only surviving piece of these two things because Kubrick had everything else incinerated so that nobody could ever recut his film. Mm -hmm. Um, But the film critic Tim Dirks said that there was a two minute explanatory epilogue that was cut short from the film's premiere. It was a hospital scene at the end of the film where Wendy is talking to the hotel manager and she is told that searchers were unable to find her husband's body. And then it would end with the photo of Jack in, in the ballroom, which uh-huh. is a very different ending. Yeah. Um, it shows that Wendy and and Danny are okay, but it also provides the question of was he ever there? What was he a ghost? We did he was the un- upturned car in the beginning his car, and he's haunting the family. I mean, it's like you don't really. You don't know, um, yeah. uh-huh. but without that ending, it's totally different. I love it way better because I love having that the confusion of him frozen with that grimacing look on his face, and then <laughs> you know,
1: the, the photograph it's very, very, very fascinating. Yeah, mm-hmm. I must admit, it, it's uh, you know, and fun, you know, and funnily enough, obviously, it's uh, you know, the photograph is uh, dated um the sort of July the fourth, wasn't it, nineteen twenty-one or nineteen oh one or uh, something I'm like that. Sure. So um so I'd seen a few a few sort of tweets with the the, the photograph actually just over the past week um, Yeah, you know to celebrate it. So it did it did get me thinking. But um funnily enough we were talking about um talking about um uh their sort of Blade Runner earlier mm-hmm. um and and that's another film that I actually alike in its in its open this sort of endedness and that uh, you can really put any kind of spin on you know is um you know sort of Deckard a, a sort of replicant or not I know what my thoughts are and uh, uh you know I'm 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 quite happy to stick with that you know but yeah but I do love how other people have have all of their own um their own sort of different sort of spins on it and I uh, and and I suppose you know classic films like that. You know they do that. They get us sort of thinking. And uh, you know I'm, I must admit having watched the The Shining now, I've been thinking about it a lot. And that and that's yes. actually power to to a great film is that you you either think you know you think about it and you almost sort of put yourself in that that situation. Right. Um. You know, so real real sort of testament to the to the power of it.
2: Yeah. And another um, aspect of this film that I think is very fascinating, and I, I did a, a episode on my podcast with um, two guys who are in recovery, is that Stephen King wrote The Shining when he was basically a blackout drunk. He was super, super in the phase of alcoholism in his life. Mm-hmm. And the character very much is Stephen King as an alcoholic, spiraling, and what he's losing his family. And that's the very much the character that Jack Nicholson plays in The Shining. And when you watch Dr. Sleep 40 years later, this is a, a book that was written by a man who's very sober and had recovery for many years. And it's very much written from that place uh-huh. of what the damage was from these, these awful actions of being an alcoholic. So it's uh, it's really interesting in that aspect. And there is some um, just... Scenes in uh Doctor's Sleep that are directly linked, stitched into the Shining that give me goosebumps. And you realize like there's a, a massive depth to the shining that underneath the ghosts, the strange rooms, the guy in the beaver suit, or whatever. Yeah. Uh there, there are some real human pieces at play underneath this kind of like a cold film. It's very, very interesting too. Mm-hmm.
1: And I suppose again, you know, I think we've spoke about um you know, obviously the, the the technical aspects and the fantastic sort of visuals and the sets yeah. and, um, you know, the story itself and how sort of strong and sort of powerful they're, they're that, that, that is. I suppose one of the things that almost makes it seem they're sort of, they're, they're effortless in a way is actually, you know, getting getting this, you know, relatively small um Uh, their sort of cast who are fairly much absolutely spot on in every role you know yeah you know it's so so solid so solid I mean
2: Scatman Carruthers as Dick Holloway is so fun and when you like see him with Danny he's so he's like the father figure Danny deserves and then when you see him in his room like in on his bed with the cool like painting behind him and everything you're like oh this guy's like super smooth like I didn't know what an interesting side to learn about this guy uh and then Shelley Duvall she's amazing um just such a stark wonderful presence and sadly I think she was very mistreated during the filming of this because uh Kubrick catered to jack nicholson the whole time and then kind of negated attention towards her uh trying to i guess accentuate the rift between jack and Mm -hmm. shelly uh but i think that that already existed i think just based on herself and her unfortunate battles with with mental health i guess she had clumps of hair falling out at the time of filming this from the stress Mm -hmm. and it's uh no secret that the the shot where she's waving the baseball bat at Jack Nicholson as he stalks her up the stairs was shot over 120 times. I mean, that's just an excessive amount of time for anyone to be in emotional duress. So, you yeah. know, it's it's pretty crazy. But, you know, and also Danny um quit acting after this. This was his last credit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the last time you see Danny Lloyd. He's now a teacher. Um, so that's great, but um. But yeah, that it's it's a phenomenal small tight cast
1: that yeah. really gets uh-huh. put put through the paces in The Shining. Yeah, I did um I must have I did love Philip um their stone as um their sort of greedy just uh, oh yeah and just again I think as as he um they as he um their sort of British person we always love a good a good sort of British um um their sort of character actor, but you know in the scene where he's talking about how how the Jack has to they sort of correct his their uh, family. It was just so yeah. so uh, I think so so sort of chilling probably probably in in the way that um their sort of domestic um their sort of abusers are mm-hmm. um you know and that and that they don't actually care about their the sort of consequences of what they do is that they think it is, it is sort of right so he's more yeah. matter of fact and uh um almost sort of casual about it when he's uh, speaking at that i must admit that 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 actually probably chilled me there the most from the film oh yeah well get ready for mega chills because
2: it's all back in dr sleep the <laughs> oh, well. uh, role reversals it's but the depth of it i mean i'm serious i have goosebumps right now thinking about it because it's like what they're talking about in that scene is mirrored again in the next film but it's also talking about it from the standpoint of because Ewan McGregor plays Danny grown up Mm -hmm. um, who has also done the same thing his dad did he struggled with alcoholism and now is in this place where it's like the conversation he has with I won't spoil who Grady is in the doctor's sleep but I mean, it is deep, and it is heady, and there's that glass on the table, just a counter, just like in The Shining. And it's like every little detail that we love from The Shining is like, pardon the pun, but Shining in this (laughs) sequel. Uh And it's just like, man, I am going to probably rewatch it tonight. I probably (laughs) will. Because unlike The Shining, which we've been steeped in for so long, I can just recall. Like, oh, yeah, here's Johnny and all of this. doctor sleep is like a new experience but it gives you that same hit in your brain you know where you're like oh that's the goods
1: yeah good good oh well i i mean, yeah yeah i'm you know you know uh they're really looking forward to it then just uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll probably be very tired afterwards my brain will probably just you know start to melt a bit after. right
2: <laughs> yeah no that's a good point and yeah. since i mentioned the uh here's johnny An interesting fact about that is that was an ad lib that wasn't in the script. Uh, It just came out of Jack in the scene, and everyone was just like, "Oh, that's that's hilarious. We got to put that in the movie." It doesn't read funny, I think, when you watch it. But
1: I now this is. But now again, for for a for a British person, now this is a reference that we or, or I think a lot of people don't don't really get or don't really understand oh, yeah. what what what's on underneath it so that's so, so funny so everybody knows you know that that scene everybody yeah knows the image of of their jack looking through 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 there the broken uh their door and and saying that they're the line um, yeah and and for me, I'd never thought thought about it. I was just like, "Oh, that's that is a that is the iconic line of, of of Jack um, the sort of Nicholson." Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, for years actually thinking, "Oh, oh, his uh, character's name is <laughs> right. you know, must be um, the Johnny because the Johnny Carson is not." It's not a thing over here, as in, right? His, like, should it have been wasn't... Benny Hill, or who would it have been? Uh um, it would have been Michael, um, sort of Parkinson. That was the big sort of okay. show host. So, um, wow. so, something like that, yeah. But um, <laughs> should have been here's Michael then. Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, but um, so like, like we know who who um who the John Johnny um their Carson is, but but his show was never you know broadcast over here it's so, ah, fascinating so the catchphrase wouldn't make sense right um but 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 we love that scene because you know jack just stacks and looks right. crazy in it so yeah um i'm sure lots of british listeners are going no no i i i always knew that um but i'm not really certain if if actually that that yeah, that's many the, else the... would have done
2: yeah it's one of the great Things about getting to speak to you is that we like forget we- there's other points of view from <clears throat> at, pointed at films other than where we live. You know, it's like I always thought it was weird in video stores that we had a foreign film section that was everywhere but the United States. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> one aisle, and I was like, it seems kind of like diminutive to the rest of the world <laughs> that we just call it a foreign film. And now you know there they've expanded and it would be films from Scotland, films from the UK, I mean, you know, Japan and Italy and stuff, but it was just like, you you, you forget that there's, the, the jokes are going to be different in different places. And, you know, I found myself really loving what was referred to as like just British humor here. Um, very, very much as a kid, the absurdity of like, you know, Monty Python and stuff like that was very much like, that was my jam, um, yeah. but I didn't always get the references for the exact same reason that you're talking about. But mm-hmm. I never thought about that with The Shining,
1: so thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, funny, you know, funny what you should say. I mean, actually thinking about about films now, and then we talk about the the sort of technical as, as aspects. So one of the things about um, about sort of animated um the sort of comedies is that they change the the voice actors for so actually right. so some some um they're sort of british versions of of say some you know pixar or um you know other other sort of films like like that they'll actually change up some of the minor voices really yeah yeah so you've got got sort of better known known sort of british ones uh yeah yeah i, have, you know. I know that some of that uh there was a—I don't know <clears throat>
2: what the films are. If it's—I know it's not pitch perfect, but there was some big, <clears throat> se- <clears throat> excuse me, series of uh, films that Zac Efron was in, uh-huh. and uh, and I know that he. Went to I think it was Spain or something, and it was like for the fifth one or, or something, and he heard what voice he was given in the in the Spanish okay, films, and yeah. it was like a super high pitched voice, and he was like, "That's what I've sounded
1: like for five movies," and uh, I think that that's endlessly hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. I was um, I can't I can't actually remember where it was, but it was someone who was uh, I think it was someone who lived in. They're sort of germany and they were talking about um the the bond films and they're the voice actor who used to dub Sean um this sort of mm-hmm. also did on on her majesty's uh, secret service so 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 that george um <laughs> they lazenby had the same voice oh my gosh yeah so uh,
2: that's hilarious
1: yeah that's such an odd one isn't it <laughs> like, yeah much but- um
2: one that was george's the, only bond film i think too
1: <clears throat> yeah yeah uh-huh so and um yeah so very very sort of different there but um funnily enough talking about about the the, the sort of cultural parts of it one one of the bits that i enjoyed from from the storeroom bit. so yes. so so um <clears throat> Um, you know, the family's getting shown round and there's a storeroom and there's all the food in it and it there's all the boxes. <clears throat> and it was the this well, well, I hope this is right because I hope I hope when you look at all of the boxes of, of the foods that oh yeah, that, that the labels are actually you know, sort of real <laughs> ones and um they're sort of recognizable, and so it yes. makes sense to have them there. Yeah,
2: it, it does the the I forget what the product is that, that has the Native American on it. I forget the name of it. I wasn't familiar with that product. Uh-huh. Um, but there is a lot of speculation that the reason that that's there, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you've heard this, is that the, uh, the hotel was built on an, a Native American burial ground. Uh-huh. And the reason that the blood elevator scene happens is because the men building that elevator were essentially driving a stake through the heart of this burial ground to build the shaft for the elevator, and all okay. the blood is that from the Native uh, Americans. I have no idea. I never thought about that a moment in my life, but uh-huh. there is a lot of think pieces online that that focus on that
1: aspect <laughs> of the story. Okay. Right. Well, well, I don't know about that. Maybe someone who's actually listening does know, know the yeah. brands, I think. But what stuck out for me was for the attention to to sort of details. So, so you know, being old enough to to, to remember nineteen, 19 they sort of eighty, and some of the labels are so even for similar they sort of products. So I'm thinking um, they sort of Kraft or mm-hmm. or sort of Heinz is that the logos are slightly different. So mm. the the American logo would be slightly different to the one that we oh, would have. Sure. And but I think all of all of the logos are actually you know right for where the film's you know set. So that's yeah. how it really would look like. Um and that I really I really like. I just love, you know, I just love um the, the thought that someone in the in the um uh their sort of production actually had to um you know source and bring all this stuff over there, there to england to make sure that's that the storeroom looked like it's you know thousands of miles away
2: yes yeah
1: i love that i
2: also love in other films from anywhere else to see like you said the logo will be different for like heinz or something but yeah also the flavors of things are different like you have different chip flavors in you know england than we do here but it's the same company and like japan has crazy like doritos and kit kats and all kinds of stuff that we don't have here (laughs) in the state and i i love that and i love that i can now order stuff from other continents and like i can try the weird what's weird for me chip flavor that's very popular somewhere else you know yeah it's fine
1: but that's really funny it's uh was i was actually chatting with someone about um their sort of candies or or sort of sweets and obviously they're very different here um, yes but but the influence as well so so the so the influence of the american um their sort of films on 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 sort of us now um their sort of twinkies are something that that we'd always heard about but we had absolutely no idea what they were so yeah. So unless you went on 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 sort of holiday to, you know, sort of Florida or somewhere like that, you know, you didn't know what they were, um, and only in the last last sort of know, ten years or so they've actually you know brought brought them over so you can buy them now. Mm-hmm. But for years it was like they're sort of 20s. I've no idea what that is. So unless <laughs> you actually unless you actually saw someone you know eating one. Not a clue
2: yeah well i love you know edgar wright's films and when uh like sean of the dead came out or and he goes to the corner store to get a cornetto i don't know what a cornetto is like, I don't, i've never even heard of this and then they started calling it the cornetto trilogy and i was like how do i what i have to google cornetto because i don't know what this thing is but
1: yeah yeah, yeah. same uh, I think I think um, I think we veered off topic a little bit, but uh, oh yeah, I, te- I tend to do that. I
2: apologize, <laughs> especially but, with food involved.
1: But it actually, it does. It shows up. I think uh, you know, just those minor points for me just shows like you know the 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 work in this film. You know, you can be blown away by by yeah. so many big bits, so many um, you know, you know, you know, powerful scenes or sort of dialogue that you know or. Or sort of some of the great sort of scares. Everybody, um, you know, if you like a horror film, you like to be, you know, you know, scared by it, and you absolutely are. Or, or it's a film that's, you know, that's got you thinking, you know, days and days afterwards. But, you know, you can also look at a tiny little bit and think, whoa, that's, uh, you know, so well done. And that, and that sort of detail really does, uh, does really sort of add up, uh, you know, to such a great film. And I must admit, I kind of wish I'd gotten round to it sooner. Um, <laughs> it's been great, you know, talking about it. Um, I, I really should have done. Um, there, there's quite a few others uh, there as I, as I go on with this um, their sort of series now that I think folk are going to be shocked by what I haven't watched. But, um, you know, I really am so, so glad there to, to get round there to it. I am just going to round up there um there Dirk, but what i would like you you to do is tell me about um you know your your thing uh oh sure
2: yeah so vhs is a, it's a podcast where each episode is about a film and the guest has the profession portrayed in the film so we're having a different conversation about about movies it's not about whether it's good or bad i just i pick a film and that becomes sort of the blueprint for the conversation where I interview the person about their personal life and it's not about if it's accurate to the film it's just a sort of a jump off point if you will Mm -hmm. but we get to cover a variety of topics um, and a variety of professions so some of the examples I've had is I did the movie Teen Witch with a witch uh I did The Lure which is a Polish murderous mermaid musical and I did that with someone who's a they're a professional mermaid uh I've had some more Classic jobs, like I had a, a birding coach. Um, we did the movie Unborn. I've had musicians on. Um, I had Chris Connolly for ministry, and we talked about a horror musical called Suck, um, which is great. It's about vampires. I highly recommend <laughs> it. Uh, yeah so it's it's super fun we're going into our eighth season right now so seasons are eight episodes each there's a variety of things to check out so i highly recommend people do it you can find us on instagram twitter at vhus underscore podcast and uh the website's vh-us.com we got original artwork and some stuff on there as well um yeah anywhere you find your podcast like this fine
1: podcast well thank you very much Doug. It's been absolutely brilliant having you and I hope you uh, I hope you've had a good time I think we have, haven't we so.
2: No, it was a real treat. I don't often get to talk about films that are like this well known and still find all these odd corners and gems and facts, you know. Yeah. I think that that's that's really wonderful. I did want to end just just with one last thing and it's what yeah. Roger Ebert wrote uh, he wrote that it isn't a ghost story because the ghosts may not be present in any sense at all, except for as visions experienced by Jack and Danny. And I've seen this movie multiple times over the 43 years of my life. And I never realized that they're not really interacting with the ghosts. Like they're, they're visions. It's very much things that they they see rather than are affected by. Whereas now in most ghost stories, we have so much of just, it's very much the other thing so you know with movies like the conjuring and whatnot so I, I think that that's another aspect that is just like what makes the shining kubrick's shining you know yeah absolutely
1: brilliant and uh and an excellent note uh, there to end on so thank you dirk and thanks everyone for them um, they listening thank you thank you